Hi, I'm Anastasia Busas. I am a two-time Olympic speed skater. My whole life I have been surrounded by athletes, and every one of them has a story that a scoreboard will never capture. It's not an easy thing to be with an athlete. They don't understand why they're making fun of me because I like to figure skate. Player's own voice is all about the person inside the performance. When you're so in it, I think perhaps we're the people that understand it the least. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey listeners, before we get started, just wanted to say we're approaching the end of our season and we're going to wrap it up with a Q&A episode. We would love to hear any questions or comments that you have about the show, this season, Harv and I, please be nice, <laughs> whatever it may be. We would especially love to hear your lovely voices. So feel free to record yourself saying your question as a voice memo. You can send us your written questions on Twitter and Instagram at IQ underscore podcast. And you can email us your audio questions, contact at IQpodcast.com. Lots of different ways to get in touch. I can't wait to hear your lovely questions soon. People are curious, and that's great. But there are some questions you just shouldn't ask, or at least not like that. I'm Harvinder Vadva. I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. And this is Inappropriate Questions. Let's get inappropriate. So, Harv, I don't know if you know about my storied past, mm -hmm. but I am a former child actor. Really? Yep. Do tell more. Well... Okay, so when I was 13, my classmate's mom was a filmmaker, and she just saw me doing yoga or stretches or something in the middle of the class one day at snack, and she asked me to audition, mm -hmm. and I got the part. I had never really acted before other than in school plays. And it was such a shoestring budget movie, we barely spent any money on it, shot it over two weeks at a motel in Perry Sound, and then it got to travel around the world, and it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival, we traveled to Rome, to New York, hmm. all sorts of places to promote it. So it was very interesting getting wow. not really a taste of stardom, but you know, I have an IMDb page. I've had people ask for my autograph before. This is a thing that's happened. A long time ago. So this whole time, I am co-hosting with a celebrity, and I didn't even know about it. I mean, like, probably like K-list or like X-list or... <laughs> these make no sense, but I mean, there was a moment where I could have gone further with acting, but I decided to be a nerd and focus on school instead. So maybe in an alternate universe, I am one of those people that show up in those where are they now articles that get pumped out about former child actors. It's it's so very interesting. It's a little different than what we have done before. Yeah. Because now this question is not asked in most cases directly to them, but it is about them. Mm. So this is a little twist and uh, I like twists. Love a twist. Yeah, it's mostly comes up in those articles and like clickbaity right. articles about, you know, what happened to this child star now that they're old and washed up or whatever. Right, right. And I've seen one, yeah. you know, this uh, actress uh, is now doing a nine to five job kind of thing. I, right. I don't know whether you have seen that comes in your feed or not. Yeah. But I, I've seen it many times. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting topic because of, you know, 
the societal fascination with celebrities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to be honest, I sometimes do read those BuzzFeed articles about where child actors are now. It's kind of nostalgic. But I think sometimes, as with any aspect of celebrity culture, things can feel intrusive or be taken too far. Yeah, you have raised a good point because there is there is a privacy angle to it, too. Yeah. So I'm really interested to hear what people who have seen these articles written about them mm-hmm. think of this question and whether people should be asking it about them or not. Just so you know, this episode has a bit of cursing in it. Be warned. They're saying, where are they now? And they kind of hope that we're at the bottom of a well. Everyone deserves to know where we are from us and not from some shitty like pop sugar, BuzzFeed bullshit. First up, we're speaking to Lisa Jacob. She's a writer, speaker, mental wellness coach, and former actor. You might know her as Lydia, one of the kids from the movie Mrs. Doubtfire. Okay, I am kind of embarrassed to admit that I have not seen the movie, but I am quite proud of myself that I've heard about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Because most movies I've not even heard about. (laughs) When asked about what she's up to now, uh, she had this great tweet. People always ask me what I've done since Mrs. Doubtfire. Acted for eight years, retired from acting, left L.A., married the best guy, went to college, published two books, became a mental wellness speaker slash advocate, started a yoga program for vets, and now I'm going to make a burrito. Can you think back to the first time you saw yourself referenced in one of those where are they now articles, listicles? Is there a time that comes to mind? It was probably, you know, several years after I had left Los Angeles, left the film industry, and I went to college late. Mm -hmm. So when I started college, I was about 28. And I I think that was probably around the time that I I first saw that, like, where are they now? And, And... it probably triggered like a bit of an existential crisis. Like, oh, mm. Jesus, where am I now? Like, <laughs> it's a valid question. Mm-hmm. I was worried about exams and not being invited to parties because I was kind of this weird older kid who was married and had a mortgage and lived off campus with her husband. And, <laughs> you know, I think it was probably one of those moments where I went like, oh my God, what what am I doing? Which is, I think, a, a point that a lot of us get to mm. of what really am I doing with my life? And it's scary enough when you ask that of yourself. It's just terrifying if you think other people are asking that of you. Hmm. Wow. wow. Interesting. The internet or, or internet doesn't make this easier they will give you all sorts of salacious uh, clickbaity stuff too, right? <laughs> no, the clickbait is so terrible. It really is. And, you know, when I turned 40, there were a bunch of articles that came out and it very much is like, well, look what she looks like at 40. Oh you know, and I'm like, yeah. I look like a 40-year-old. Like, what, <laughs> what's your problem? <laughs> And so I think that that feels really kind of evil, Mm. right? It feels like it's 
tapping into our basest instincts as humans to want to feel superior, to want to feel better about ourselves, to want to put someone else down. Mm -hmm. Oh, this person grew up to be ugly or they're fat now or oh, they couldn't get work past the age of 18, so now they work at Trader Joe's, right? This idea of we love to build people up and then we tear them down. Mm -hmm. And so I think in its worst iteration, the question is a setup to watch how someone has taken this life that we idealize and have fallen from it. Mm. So uh, being an actor, your life becomes very public. And uh, in, in, in that public, even when you leave that profession, you are still a very public figure. So did you get uh, stopped on the streets? Or I, I shouldn't use the word accosted, right? That would be <laughs> Accosted uh, is absolutely <laughs> the right word. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I've had a lot of really difficult, really scary moments where people think that you owe them because you were an actor, you were in the public eye. Mm -hmm. This was actually something that happened when I was still an actor, but when I was a teenager, I was probably about 16 or 17. I was staying at a hotel and I was swimming in the pool at the hotel and there was a man who recognized me and he demanded that I get out of the pool and take a photo with him. Hmm. And I said, you know what, I, I'd be happy to take a photo with you, but you know, hold on one minute, I'm gonna go and, and get a towel. Cause I didn't really wanna stand next to some random dude in my bathing suit. Mm -hmm. And he actually said to me, no, you need to do this now. You're an actor, you owe me, this is what you get paid for. What? Seriously? And there is no moment that more epitomizes that feeling of just being a dancing monkey. Mm. Right? Like mm. you are just here to please other people. But even uh, when you were younger, I'm assuming that most people were polite. It, there must have been just few, and I'm not going to use any choice words here, but. <laughs> there definitely were people who were incredibly kind and just wanted to come up and say something nice. But I really was surprised at the number of people who had no boundaries. Even more as a kid, there was less respect for bodily autonomy, mm. right? When I was a kid, I got grabbed a lot. I got hugged a lot. I got picked up a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's incredibly scary mm -hmm. at any age, but especially when you are a petite 14-year-old. Mm -hmm. That sucks. And as a kid, it must be really hard to stand up for those boundaries, right? Because, you know... You know, I didn't even know what boundaries were at that age. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And I've gotten much better with boundaries now. And I think I would have had more choice words for that guy had that <laughs> happened more recently. But there still is this, this public fascination, this mm -hmm. fetishizing of fame, this way that we don't think that 
actors are real people. And it is really sad to me to see that just being repeated over and over again. Mm-hmm. Right. Where do you think this entitlement that a lot of these folks had comes from? I think that there is a sense of intimacy that people have with actors. Mm-hmm. We show up in people's houses, right? They're sitting on the couch and there we are. Mm. I don't think most of it comes from a malicious place. I think most of it comes from this sense, a misplaced sense of you're my friend. I know you. You have mm-hmm. sat with me when I was sick and you have been there when my cat died and, you know, all of those things. Mm. And so I do think there is a sense of intimacy that's not on my end, right? I have never seen you before, but you think that you know me. You think that I am a part of your life. Mm. And you know, thinking about that in the context of this question, you know, where are you now kind of, or where are they now kind of becomes like, where's that person I knew in high school? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, it almost is like looking for an old Facebook friend you lost touch with, right? Or something like that, that rather than someone you actually don't know. Yeah. And I think there is different types of tone that come with those articles as well. Mm -hmm. Because I do think some of them are coming with this intention of nostalgia and sweetness. Yeah. And then I think there are the articles that feel more like they're saying, where are they now? And they kind of hope that we're at the bottom of a well. (laughs) You know, they kind of hope that there's going to be oh, let me Google this person and see how many Mm -hmm. times they've been in rehab and have they crashed their car and all of those sorts of things that unfortunately tend to be kind of common with with child actors, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I do think that lately it's felt more like nostalgia, especially during this COVID era, I think, where people are looking for that comfort. Uh, do you ever regret that you you started your acting career so young? I don't regret any of it. I don't regret spending 18 years as an actor, and I don't regret leaving. Hmm. It really was a fascinating way to spend a childhood. <laughs> I got to travel. I got to meet amazing people. And so I had a lot of fantastic experiences. I also don't regret leaving it because at that point that I got to in my early 20s, my anxiety was through the roof. I was really struggling with depression. Mm. And so it's a no-brainer for me. But it's always so bizarre to see people who really feel badly for me because I'm no longer an actor. Mm. Yeah, that must be really weird to encounter. Mm -hmm. These are... It's been so many years since you've acted, but uh, when you meet new people who find out that you have been a child actor, is there a certain way they act? It's fascinating to watch other people's reactions to the fact that I used to have a certain job before. Hmm. Nobody's like, oh my God, you used to work at a bank that (laughs) totally changes everything about how I think about you. (laughs) 
if people don't know that I used to be an actor, when they find out, they change. Right. Like, we can't just talk about normal things. All of the conversations need to revolve around what Robin Williams was like or kind of giving you the strong arm and creating a bit of space. Hmm. They feel like I am somehow fundamentally unrelatable. Hmm. <laughs> Has something changed from that time when you were in college first seeing those kind of articles to maybe when you see it nowadays? Is it still kind of scary that you're being thought about in that way? Or do you feel like you've you've worked through that a bit? I think I've worked through it a bit, actually. Now when I see it, I try to take it in what I hope is the intent of the article, which is kind of a sweet nostalgia kind of thing. And knowing that some of the movies that I did were were meaningful and important to people. Um, a lot of the movies I did were not meaningful at all to people. So it's <laughs> nice to know that at least some of them were. <laughs> I can step back from it a little bit mm. and not take it as personally and not have it shake me, I think, the way that it used to. Mm. And a big reason for that is the fact that I sort of shifted my view of what success is. Mm -hmm. For a long time, I felt like I had to live up to the fact that I was in these two blockbuster movies before the time I could buy a drink, right. you know? And it's kind of like, well, shit, where do I go from here? <laughs> and everybody just kept telling me that being an actor and being in movies and living in L.A., was the height of what anyone could ever achieve. And it turns out they were all totally wrong. What I believed to be a successful life was, was very different from that. It had to do with making an authentic contribution to the world and feeling good in my own skin, even if that didn't look impressive to the outside world, that that, that is what success really is. Hmm. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> it took me a while to get there. So I'm glad you like it. <laughs> I can imagine. I said that as if that was like a little like you just baked a little pie instead of like, this is my <laughs> philosophy on life. <laughs> yeah, no, but this is not easy to achieve. Let's put it that way. It is absolutely not easy to achieve. Mm. It probably took me 10 years to get there. <laughs> People who don't know you you know, behave like you are any other person. But people then, when they find out you are an ex-actor, how do you expect them to behave with you? How would I like people to respond? Like is a better term rather than expect, yes. <laughs> okay. I think for a long time after I left, I wanted to pretend that my acting career had just never happened. I wanted to bury it. I wanted to bury Lydia. I wanted it just to all be done. Mm. I joke about this, that it's going to say, you know, Lydia lies here on my tombstone, <laughs> that it's just something I did for four months when I was 14 right. will just be something I will carry forever for better and for worse. Mm -hmm. What I have eventually gotten to, which I think is a much healthier place, and my therapist will tell you it's a much healthier place, <laughs> is this was a chapter in my life. It was meaningful. 
but it is not as meaningful as my present. <laughs> so I think my ideal reaction to anyone who finds out that I used to be an actor is, oh, that's really cool. What are you up to now? What brings you joy now? What are you interested in? How do you spend your days? What do you love? <laughs> Ask me that and like, that is perfect. Like, let's acknowledge that it happened and move on. Hmm. <laughs> that's actually, I guess that's a really lovely way to frame this question. So it seems like this question could be really kind of wonderful if you're not asking it in a very clickbaity or uh, try to put you down kind of context. Yeah, I think it really can be because we all change. Mm. We all become different versions of ourselves. We evolve as humans. So how did they evolve? Yeah. Right? And, and so if it can take on that tone, I think that that is so much more lovely. <laughs> In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Harv, hate to movie quiz you again, mm -hmm. but okay, this one is one of my favorites of all time. Have you seen School of Rock? Okay, now I've heard about it, <laughs> and I will put it on my to-watch list after I retire <laughs> okay. from my job. Okay. <laughs> yes. I'm really excited because our next guest, Rivka Reyes, played Katie, one of the kids in the band in School of Rock. Mm. And Rivka now hosts a podcast called Where Are We Now, where they interview other people who are in the spotlight as kids. Mm -hmm. Kind of differently from Lisa, Rivka is still in the entertainment industry and still gets this question. So Rivka, I wanted to start uh, as a queer School of Rock fan by telling you how much I loved your tweet. Yeah. You probably know the one. Someone said, I wonder how the bassist from School of Rock is doing. And you replied, I'm gay now. I'm gay now. I thought this was just the perfect answer to the question. I love that you were like, this is what the people need to know. <laughs> that is all they needed to know in that moment. And honestly, the reason I found that tweet was because sometimes I, when I need validation, I'll like, I'll look on Twitter in the search for School of Rock basis or Katie School of Rock or like search my own name. And then that was like the first thing that came up. And I was just like, I'm gay now. And that tweet went so viral. I was not expecting it. A lot of my like idols that are gay, like retweeted that tweet or like liked it. Oh my gosh. Or commented on it. And they're like, you go girl. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Like you see what happens sometimes. 
Sometimes when you seek for validation, you get it in a big way. So <laughs> that is a good lesson to, to hang on to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Rivka, do you recall when was the first time you saw Where Are You Now about you in one of those celebrity gossip sites? Uh, I saw one that was, and I'm not exaggerating, the title was like 52 child stars that you probably forgot about. And I was on there. <laughs> and that was a very large bruise to my ego mm. uh, being there. But then some of the other ones that were on there, I was like, oh, my God, I did forget about them. I wonder what they are up to now. So it worked. It got me. It gave, you know, <laughs> um, I was just like, damn, like sucks the way that was worded. But I get like their writers, they need to you know, get the click. Mm. Um, and then, of course, the picture that they used of me wasn't my favorite picture. No. So it sent me... Mm. At the time, I was in a very, like, low place uh, mentally, and I didn't really have the tools that I have now. I, like, wasn't in therapy yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I definitely spiraled about it and, like, went down a dark rabbit hole of, like, looking at, like, getting my jaw fixed and, oh, like, getting, no. you know, plastic surgery and stuff. Oh, by the way, this is like when I was in college. So like to be thinking about Botox when you're like literally 19 is a lot. Uh, Very dramatic. Um, But that was the first uh, BuzzFeed article that I saw. And then like around the 10-year reunion, which was like shortly after I saw that, Entertainment Weekly did a big piece where they like interviewed us all like and did a big shoot. And like that felt really good Mm -hmm. because we got to tell them what we were up to rather than them just pulling like random facts that were kind of not real, like, and not right from Twitter or like from Wikipedia or IMDb. Mm -hmm. Like I was all bitter because I post a lot about theater when I was in college because I was a theater major. Right. Yeah. And that like didn't count in Hollywood's eyes because it wasn't Hollywood. It was just like, you know, (laughs) college theater. (laughs) But mm. I got really flustered about it because I like I have been acting the whole time. I never quit, and they make it seem like I fucking mm-hmm. quit. You're but like, it's all there. I'm doing the thing. I'm doing look it. At this weird costume I wore. Yes, look <laughs> at me in this ratty wig playing Olivia in Shakespeare. <laughs> I was Olivia in Twelfth Night. Damn it! <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So if I may understand that, you are still in the film industry, correct? Yeah. So. Because you have, and if I may use the term, you have grown in the industry. So why would there be any fascination about uh, where you are now? Because you are still in the industry. Yeah, I think just because School of Rock was such a monumental thing for a lot of people. I, I get a lot of folks that message me and say, my daughter picked up the guitar because of you, or I picked up you know, uh, playing piano in a band because I saw you in a band and thought, oh, wow, girls can be in bands too. Mm. Um, When I do my little manic uh, Twitter searches where I'm like, (laughs) I got to get the validation. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I think that there was this like collective interest in where the kids from School of Rock were now. Mm -hmm. And all of us are doing such cool things like there's a handful of us that are still in the industry. And then there's others. Like one, one of them is a lawyer. He's my lawyer. Uh, oh, damn. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Love we love him. And then, um, you know, some one, one of them is about to do a show off Broadway. And like one of them's got a pretty thriving music career in the country scene. And like we're all doing so well. Like, And I figured 
like everyone deserves to know where we are from us and not from some shitty like pop sugar buzzfeed bullshit like publication (laughs) and that is where the podcast comes in so a lot of the kids from school of rock have been guests already I think all of the gay ones, we've, we've, we tackled that first. I love that you're doing that. Yeah, Brian and Z and Cole and myself are the four gays so far. Uh, <laughs> there's still time. I'm sure some of them are by uh, at the very least. There's no recruitment drive going on, right? <laughs> gay agenda. The agenda. It's recruiting. So, so Rivka, to understand this better, uh, you had a past and then you have a present, which are somewhat different. Do you want to be remembered with your past or that happened? Uh, and then you would rather people acknowledge you more for your present? Well, the cool thing is, is that the past becomes a part of the present, depending on what I carry over from the past. Like, um, I also have a very dark past. I'm pretty open about it on the internet that I have struggled with mental health stuff, with addiction, with um you know, eating disorders and um, all of that and just a nightmare of like high school and college and being bullied and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I can either sit in my shitty diaper and cry about that and, and be bitter and jaded like I was, or I can use it and, you know, hmm. capitalize it as like an opportunity to show people, hey, I survived. I came back from this and I'm like thriving now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And and that that brings me to my next uh, two questions or part A, part B. So all this difficulty uh, you faced, uh, right from mental health or to depression, etc., was it or could it be attributed to your stardom or uh, this was who you are? Yeah, it's funny. The like sobriety community, I always hear people be like, I was born an alcoholic. I don't know that I was born an alcoholic, but... I definitely mm-hmm. addiction runs in my family. I definitely was a very dramatic child. Uh, I had a lot of anxiety when I was a little kid that uh, was definitely exacerbated by being thrust into mm-hmm. the public eye so young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it was a combination of pressure from my family, pressure from my friends, mm-hmm. um, you know, pressure from my guitar teacher. And then the bullying that happened when I came back to school after being on set for four months, having the fucking time of my life and like coming back to school and having all the kids being like, what, you think you're better than us? And You are. You are. <laughs> well, I didn't know that yet. I didn't know that, Harv. I didn't think that. When kids, kids are fucking mean in Chicago. I mean, kids are mean in general, but like I'm sure in Canada, not so much. Uh, oh. We say sorry after doing yeah, sorry. that. Just bullying that they say sorry after. <laughs> I would have assumed that because of your stardom, all your classmates would be fawning over you as opposed to bullying you. Sure, so did I. (laughs) Wasn't the case. It wasn't the case, Harv. I mean, I had a bunch of people that were like, like when I came in and they were like, oh, that's a girl from School Rock. I heard she's a really stuck up bitch. Oh, my friend went to Mount Carmel with her and went to summer camp with her and said that she was like super, super slutty. I'm like, I'm. 14. Oh my God. I can't be that slutty yet. Jesus. Give me time, people. (laughs) Give me time to become the slut that I am. 
<laughs> and then, of course, well, that's what it did. I mean, that's what it started the peer pressure from the, you know, I'd already like tried, you know, dabbled in drinking and stuff when I was like 11. I had like a little mm-hmm. champagne at the Toronto Film Festival, brag, very oh fancy. Um, and then, of course, shortly after, when I was like 15, I started drinking heavily, like, you know, obsessing over when the next time I was going to be able to get drunk or mm-hmm. smoke weed. Or mm-hmm. smoke cigarettes behind my parents' back, and it like rebellion became this big drug, and I started mm-hmm. failing all my classes, and and you know, high school just fell apart. I, I really fell apart. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So uh, would you have preferred that your stardom had come a couple of years later, uh, so that you had more maturity to uh, to manage the stress you were going through? Mm-hmm. No, I think everything mm-hmm. happened exactly when it was supposed to happen. I look at my life and I think it, 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 this might be maybe the writer in my brain or whatever. I'm looking at my life as this like Joseph Campbell hero story yeah. like where, you know, like, you know, yes, like the initiating incident is that like I had this big thing happen when I was 10 that I maybe wasn't ready for mm-hmm. or like I, I perceive, right? I judge that I wasn't ready for, but like the universe gave it to me because they were like, look, you're a fucking star. Like mm. now cutting to like nearly 20 years after School of Rock, anytime I'm on a film set is where I feel like just the most, like give me that, like, you know, or on stage, like doing, you know, whether that's a theater thing or like a stand-up thing or comedy, whatever, in front of an audience or in front of a camera, I fucking thrive. And I know that's where I belong. Uh, so like, had I not found that out at 10, I maybe wouldn't have found that out at all. Mm, Right. You've mentioned a bit about how it feels good to be able to tell your own story rather than people finding random bits on the Internet. Yeah. And you started a whole podcast uh, with that idea, you know, talking to other child actors about where are you now? Why do you think it's important for you to be the ones telling your own stories? Well, my whole thought is that we tell it better. Yeah. We're the ones that are there. Like mm-hmm. we're the ones that are mm-hmm. experiencing mm-hmm. it rather than some glossed over like tidbit, like that's kind of just like a throwaway thing, like where the facts are not mm-hmm. usually like there's at least one thing that's a little bit wrong. And it drives me insane still to this day mm. when I'll see like, oh, like they didn't really act anymore after school. And I was like, bitch, I've been acting the whole fucking time. And like, <laughs> if you just follow me on the, any social media or like actually took the time to go, but not everybody has that amount of time, right? Mm. Like I, rather than like, you know, asking my guests, like I don't really do much research. Like I'll watch, you know, if it's a guest that I haven't spoken to before, like I'll watch some of their work, but with the knowledge that they were kids, like mm-hmm. they were teenagers, you know, Degrassi, mm-hmm. I love Degrassi. I watched so many episodes of Degrassi too, uh, nice. for having Andrea Lewis on my show who played Hazel. But I also watched her like self-produced stuff. That's like so much like wealth and, and depth of her. Mm-hmm. It's just the essence of her, you know? And now more than anything, it's like, I feel like the way that press outlets talk about like non-binary and trans people is so fucked where it's like, you know, Riff Correa's who formerly went by this name, uh, who used to use the the pronouns she, her, who now uses the pronouns. It's like, just fucking say, like, you don't have to, you know, say a trans or non-binary person's old name. You never have to. Mm-hmm. It costs zero dollars not to. Um, but I think it's important that we get to tell our own stories because 
sometimes our story is all we have. Like that's, you know, mm-hmm. it is really all I have. Like what, you know, I have fucking a desk full of um, skincare products and books on the shelf and fucking, you know, art on the wall. Mm-hmm. But like really all I actually physically have is like this, the story of my life. I just think it's important that we get to tell our own stories so that when those shitty BuzzFeed, like stars you forgot about article comes out, we know that we told our story somewhere better. Mm-hmm. To close out then, uh, Rivka, do you think that asking uh, where are they now about a former child actor, you know, we're inappropriate questions. We're all about inappropriate questions. Is this an inappropriate question? You got me. <laughs> no, I, I think that it's not not no, not so much inappropriate, but I think like the question is like ask the person themselves where they are. Mm. Where are you now? <laughs> ask yourself where am I now? Mm-hmm. I think that's a more exciting question to be honest. Like rather than looking on their IMDb and being like, oh, I didn't really do that much after that thing. Like you don't know they had a whole life. Yeah. They have a whole life outside of IMDb credits. So, Elena, what are your thoughts? I thought that this episode was really interesting in that this question is another one of those that isn't purely good or bad. Mm -hmm. It can come from this nice place of nostalgia and almost like missing a friend, or it can come from this dark side of wanting to feel superior and wanting to tear someone down who you think Mm -hmm. has had it better than you, and now you think you have it better. So I found it interesting that... This is one of those questions that we sometimes talk about on the show that can really kind of go either way, depending on intent and execution. I 100% agree. And uh, as uh, you were saying these things, I was thinking, I remember of an instance when I was uh, very little. The new thing was uh, VCRs. Do you even know what a VCR is, Elena? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyhow, one of my cousins had a business of VCR. So they watched a particular movie so many times uh, because it was free for them that they thought those actors were actually their friends. So uh, that was uh, uh, what we discussed with uh, Rivka as well as Lisa, that there is that intimacy component. There's a whole dark side to it too. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Elena, I'm reminding you again, do remind me to take your autograph when I meet you next time. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, you can have my autograph when I come over and we watch Mrs. Doubtfire (laughs) and School of Rock. And like, maybe we'll throw like Star Wars in there. (laughs) Okay, now you're pushing it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Once you're retired, Mike. Yes, yes, yes. Once you're retired. I'm Harvinder Vadva. And I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. Thanks for getting inappropriate with us. A huge thanks to our guests, Lisa Jacob and Rivka Reyes. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at IQ underscore podcast. And to find a full transcript of this episode, make sure to visit cbc.ca forward slash IQ podcast. The podcasting pals behind inappropriate questions are Sabrina Birch, Cindy Long, and myself. The show is mixed by Andrew Norton. Our chase producer is Sarah Melton, and our digital producer is S.K. Robert. Our senior producer is Jeff Turner, and our executive producer is Arif Nurani. 
An inappropriate question is like being a podcast celebrity and never being recognized. <sighs> <laughs> For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.